about Buddhist meditation in this tradition. If you have questions about practice, uh, Buddhist practice in daily life, questions about your situation that we can help, and feel free to post questions since first uh, speculative or curiosity questions for time we can get to those as well is there on topic practice so for the first 15 minutes we will as usual collecting the questions it's also a chance to catch up on your mindfulness spend the 15 minutes walking or sitting cultivate clarity of mind that will help you gain the most out of this experience. So I'll be back at 15 minutes after the hour to begin answering questions.
You're audible, Bonte. We're live. Okay. Technical I guess. Oh, I'm ready. From yes, here Bonte. on, I would ask that chat be restricted to questions only. And we'll begin to answer questions. Thank you, Bonte. We do have questions. Is drinking alcohol bad for meditation or mindfulness? Even irregular drinking, such as drinking alcohol only once a week or once a month? Thank you, listeners, for your patience as we work this out. Bunty, I hear you. Do you hear me? Okay, then we'll continue. Our question goes like this. Is drinking alcohol bad for meditation or mindfulness? Even irregular drinking, such as drinking alcohol only once a week or once a month? has nothing to do with it. Yes, of course, my alcohol does pretty much the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish. Your state of mind when you're taking alcohol is not mindful, it's not clear, it's not able to pay attention and face and confront the experience. For avoiding for not having to deal with, not having to face, not having to suffer. Take it because it makes us feel good. So it, all these things is uh, going to develop lots of bad habits. Our state intentional creating is harmful. I mean, if you practice mindfulness, you'll see the of alcohol is detrimental to your practice. What is the way to remove anxiety? I heard that um, apparently the isn't You hear me fine. That's correct, Bunte. I'm trying to find out whether people hear my voice. Fine. Be at my end. Maybe the problem is Discord. Let me close and reopen the program completely. We may resume this yet. Really? If you Discord, hear me. I can imagine problems within the sound subsystem of my OS that might be remedied. The people should hear your voice. Let me try something. I'll be right back. Okay. Hello. Hello. I've closed and reopened Discord, Bunta. Do you hear me? Can you hear me? Bunta, I Hello. can hear you. Yes. Listeners, can Hello? you hear the Venerable? Hello? Bunta, I hear you. Edit hears you. So. No, I don't hear Chris. Oh, when it rains, it pours. 
Bunte, the audience could hear you when you couldn't hear me. That still is an improvement. Hello? I hear you. Okay, I hear you as well, Bonte. Maybe we can go on. All right. The question currently asked is, what is the way to remove anxiety? Well, I mean, the good to remove anxiety becomes momentary. It removes itself after a moment. And the bad Coming back, it um, creates chain reactions like feedback loops that amplify it. So, taking a little bit more, a little more complexity. So, don't focus on trying to remove the anxiety. I'm trying to break the chain, break the feedback. Yeah, but towards the anxiety, towards the causes of anxiety, towards uh, towards the the anxiety, the physical reactions. I mean, to. Mindfulness, you can read our booklet. We have on how to practice. You should find that that helps. Um, yeah, let me try something. Okay. To any just tuning in, the Venerable is making an effort to restore his connection so that the questions can continue. If we're not able to restore that in a reasonable time frame, uh, please retain your question until next week or join our Discord community. I think you can find our links on our website. Or go to ask.siriamangalo.org and you can ask your question there to be answered by our community. Hello. Sotibante, I hear you. All right. Try again. Today, the current question is what is the way to remove anxiety? Okay. So I did talk on that. I guess it wasn't that audible. Just have to understand it. You have to. What you have to do is break the chain. So, anxiety, because of our perspective toward it, it it goes to a feedback.
and so and so on. So mindfulness should help. If you your perspective, you'll be able to think more clearly and you should helps you deal I know following Buddhism is good for me. It feels like I don't have the willpower to follow it appropriately. What can I do to cultivate willpower to follow Buddhism? Well, it requires the idea of goodness, of perfection, we call in Buddhism. So you, you have to be better, um, and that can take a long time. What you should do is start small and work with your strengths and appreciate your weaknesses and do what you can don't be too hard on yourself but understand that uh, the more you work at it the better you get magic bullet that's going to allow you to have very strong willpower if you have that then you're going to have to work at it do good deeds, be kind to others, be generous, um, work on your giving up bad things as best you can. Those are all those practices. But mindfulness, do what you can. I have extreme tension during sitting. Is it okay to spend the whole sitting noting that tension and not the rising falling? It is much more prominent. Will it go away eventually this way? It's not really probably accurate to call it extreme. Extreme is just a judgment. If there's tension, call it extreme is probably because you don't like it or you're worried about it or afraid of it or something like that. So you have to note those things, most likely. Tension isn't really something you have to concern yourself with. Note for a while, if it doesn't go away, just go back to rising and falling. But probably the is, is your reaction to it, so you know all of those. Hindrances, there's the five hindrances, and they're really about the only thing that's going to make the practice difficult. So you have to with those, etc. Where should the mind be during the stopping portion of walking meditation? Is saying to ourselves, stopping, 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 different from noting? To be on the foot, stopping, stopping is the period when you're bringing your feet together. Quite simple. I think people make the mistake of thinking once you've stopped, you say to yourself, stopping, but don't say it once you've already stopped. Say it as you're bringing your feet together, as you're stopping. If I pause meditation for a few weeks, will it degrade or stop my progress? Well, in, in comparison to if you don't pause meditation, sure. But will it be drastic or dire or, or hopeless? Will it ruin your practice? Absolutely not. It's but what I would say is that it'd be a real shame for a few weeks you didn't practice mindfulness at all. I mean, meditation is something you can do walking down the street, sitting in the car. You can do it as you're lying down. To... Just because you can't do formal meditation doesn't mean you can't be mindful. It would 
shame if you stop being mindful for a few weeks. It still wouldn't be the end of the world. Of course, there's probably been many weeks where you were not mindful at all in the past. So, I'm going to be recognizable. Um, it's not going to make you hopeless. If you didn't cultivate mindfulness at all. I read that the Buddha asked bhikkhus to see positive sensations as dukkha and negative as anicca. How to do this in practice? Yeah, I don't, I mean, it's a bit misleading, that sort of statement. I don't know what statement of the Buddha that it's your, you read or what you're referring to, but uh, it is true that you, you can see, there is a way to say that you should see see the impermanent things that dukkha. honestly this statement doesn't make any sense at all negative and positive both dukkha and anicca and what that means is that they can't satisfy you the feelings they, I mean they're, they're dukkha in the sense that they're permanent they're, there's no value in getting involved with them and so with positive ones it's a mistake to try and cling to them ones it's take to to drive them away it's just pointless and it's a cause for dukkha it's a cause for suffering so there's not really that distinction of dukkha when the might have said he might have said something similar of speech but both of those but the is you understand saying This mindfulness creates that vision, what we call asana, which can see impermanent suffering, non-self. But it's only through the practice of mindfulness that's where you don't try to see it, is the point. Look, and whatever you'll see, the things you will see are impermanent suffering, You'll see them because you're looking. So mindfulness is how you look. Even after following a meditation schedule, I find my motivation to meditate waning most of the days from the week, and I tend to skip practicing. Is it an ego thing? Would you please offer advice? Well, the same with the earth. It's just something you have to work on. It can take lifetimes to be a, a, a true mindful being. Um, your, your your motivation wanes, but also waxes. So sometimes you have you have meditation. That's what that you have motivation. Sorry, that's what that means. So that's good. All you have to do is work. And That are conducive to suffering and so on. Be associate with good people, but be patient. Don't expect that you're going to be an expert, mindful meditator right off the bat. It can take time, and I mean, it can take lifetimes to be really good. During meditation, I barely notice when liking or disliking arises. How do I know when I'm liking or disliking something, and does it manifest itself also physically? Well, if you barely notice it, there can be reasons for that. I mean, it may, it may just not be right. Very barely notice means you do notice, and well, that's how you know. If you, if you Strongly, when you notice that liking, liking, then you notice that's how you know it. But if you 
know that you're liking it. You don't know. Of course, the other thing is your mindfulness. You so you'll be able to catch things. The other thing is you have to watch for substances. I know people are taking uh, like um, psychoactive medication, that kind of thing can dull your awareness and make it hard for you to not just see, but also even just experience ordinary emotions. So I want to look. I did LSD five years ago, had a very deep experience, seeing infinite consciousness, etc. After the visual, things became fluid for me. I'd see colors merging, walls wobbling, and so on. It decreased now, but still now I can see visual movements like that, but far less intensity. I wanted to ask, is delusion the root of this? Is it I'm not mindful enough, or is it physical, brain-related phenomenon? Well, the two are mutually exclusive. I mean, experiences are not delusion. Delusion is related to how you respond to experiences. You have to understand this. Experiences themselves are never going to be delusion. See, always be seeing. When you see these things, you will be always just seeing. And there's no delusion. Delusion in how you respond. The experiences, how you interpret them, and just wondering what they are, usually relates to delusion. It's curiosity, it's confusion, it's doubt. It can be uh, excitement or interest. It can be clinging or craving, desire there, fear, kind of things. All of that is tied up with delusion and the reactions to things, and that's a very important part of mindfulness practice. Is being as seeing and reminding yourself that the seeing helps you to cut off and destroy Is there an increased risk of getting complacent once the practice eliminates the more intense forms of suffering, since suffering is such a powerful motivation to practice with urgency? It's, you, have, you have less urgency, and the more you've done, the less urgency. The, the Buddha never allowed for that, uh, and certainly pushed his students to not be negligent as long as they weren't fully enlightened. That they should. That's why, for a even so, someone who has seen who's become a, a noble being. And some of those lifetimes could be in heaven, like we're talking You have to you have to work until you are fully confident in the practice and have have come to see release where your mind lets go where where you see nibbana there's this experience of cessation and so on. Beyond that, uh, you don't have to be so afraid of what you will get or what you won't get. Work as you can. The greater you work, the, the greater the reward. When meditating, I sometimes get caught up in sounds, like music or voices, but not necessarily thoughts. Should I continue to note thinking, or would another word be more suitable? 
No, if it sounds you're not hearing, hearing. Should the mind stay with the breath if there is no distraction, or should one intentionally go out of one's way to note postures, feelings, mind, etc., if they aren't immediately obvious? You should not go out of your way. We don't stay with the breath per se, we stay with the stomach. That may be what you mean, focusing on the stomach rising and falling. If you focus on the breath, you might become very calm and... You might be very focused on one object, but with the rising and falling of the stomach, it's a lot less constant and stable by design, really. Uh, If your mind is very calm and focused, you may want to focus on that and not calm. Calm can be a a cause of this very, very stable state. I mean, it's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that... It's likely only going to happen if you're not paying attention to the experiences or if you're practicing samatha, so focused on concept. I had an awakening at 16, made it to the shore with a boat, floated for a while and gave it away. Now I'm lost in the forest again. How can I find a way back? I can't speak to what you had at 16. I don't think it's something that I I really can help you with. I mean, because I just have no idea what you're referring to. I mean, it's easy to claim something as being awakening, but the Hindus do it as well uh, in a very different way from how we practice and in a way that we would clearly not call awakening. So just something awakening doesn't really mean much um, it's it's worth appreciating that it's probably a spiritual but so at 16 um, you know, I mean it, it, of course it's far more than some experience that you some mundane experience that you interpreted as awakening as that's the kind of thing that 16 year olds have not to trivialize it. I mean, I just know what it's like to be 16 and have epiphanies and even spiritual drug-induced experiences and experiences of all kinds. But it's really important. It's not something that we about was it or wasn't. The, the results speak for themselves. So where you're at now is what you should look at. Something that happened in the past Helped free greed, anger, and well, that's great. But uh, if you still have greed, anger, and delusion, then you have work to do. So, reach uh, awakening, there will be no more greed, no more anger, no more delusion. And that's the essence of enlightenment. So, um, we should work towards that. You can't get back there because once you're there, you'll never, you'll never fall away. center. I am skeptic all of rebirth and the three characteristics are making me very depressed. How can noting help? Buddhism, not your life, not pain, not anything whatsoever. Depression is a reaction, and it's associated with delusion. It's only because of misunderstanding of the experience and misapprehending, grasping correctly, that depression arises in the first place. It's a reaction to things. So none of those things have any power over you. They're not boogeymen. Rebirth is not some boogeyman who can sneak up hide under your bed and eat you when the lights go out. And the three characteristics as well, they're closet, they don't have any power. 
the story. It's how you react to those. So noting helps change the way you react to things. That's the very essence of it. Of course helps. Because it changes how you react to things like depression, that would make you depressed. The problem is you get stuck in concept. You start thinking of things like rebirth or the three characteristics. And you trigger it triggers your depression. Just how you react to it. Whenever we note a distraction and return to the abdomen, do we just focus on that spot, like a body scan, and wait until the rising begins? Yeah, just wait for the rising. I wouldn't intentionally try to focus on it, I mean, just wait for it. Special. You can also note sitting or waiting. If there is no concept of eternal self in Buddhism, and there is only experience, then what is it that is aware of experience? What is the state of one who has attained final realization, arahant? While alive, are they still in an experience-only state, with no self, but without ignorance? On passing away, if there is no returning for an arahant, then what is the nature of their existence after passing, or do they cease to exist completely? Those last questions are specifically useless questions, so I'm not, I'm not even going to pay attention to them. I'm sorry, not really to to uh, criticize. I mean, it's not a, I know that sounds a bit like an attack. So I apologize for that. But, um, without any prejudice, I'm not, it's not getting upset at you, at you for asking these. But these questions are rubbish. Throw them out. You don't need them. Let go of them. But they do hinge on a misunderstanding about the first question. The first question is a bit interesting. Um, in a funny way, I mean, it's a funny question. You're basically asking uh, if there is no self, then what self is there? It's a, it's a ridiculous question. So, okay, this is a bad question as well, but it's, it's an important thing to understand that why, why this one is a bad question. Uh, I mean, it's because it's a common, fairly common question to understand that we're not just saying that so that you can say, what self is there? Reality doesn't work that way. Reality doesn't admit to self. To think can be aware of something. Think it can have um faculties right with the self so that's not how reality works there is experience there is awareness I no longer hear Venerable Yutadamo's voice, but I can see that he's still speaking, so the technical issues continue.
hello, hello. Okay, uh, I think we're back on. Bande, I can ask the next question if you're ready. I'm ready. There is no divine purpose or plan. The I typing this question is a concept created by moments of experience, just as everything else is, that is not an experience of the six senses, i.e. the computer used to type, the internet used to connect, Ante our teacher, meditation, Buddha's teachings, etc. are all concepts, yet somehow this conceptual I has come to the conceptual teachings of the conceptual teacher, Bhante Yutadamo, in order to be free from suffering and delusion. Difficult to grasp how there is no purpose or intention in this scenario. Could you please share your thoughts on how Buddhism explains this? Well, there is purpose and there is intention. I mean, that's pretty obvious. So there's no divine purpose, but um, I'm not sure where you, why you would expect such a, such, such a thing unless you are a theist and you grew up with that kind of delusion. But obviously you have purpose and you have intention on coming here. I think you may be overthinking things. Um, I mean, I don't know if you have some theistic background or if you're clinging to, to divine purpose or something. You say there isn't one, but maybe you are struggling with that. So that's something something you just have to let go of because it's just views, it's just ideas. You should really just focus on reality, focus on your experiences, keep it simple. That's the whole point of mindfulness is to keep it simple, to create a simpler state of mind that's more accurate and more in line with reality. How to escape pornography addiction? Even if I'm mostly mindful throughout the day, the times I'm not, it gets me. Takes time. This is an addiction. It's a very strong one. I mean, our our re rebirth is because of craving and clinging. So you work at it. You pay attention. You try to note your reactions. The any guilt you have or anger at yourself, you have to note those things as well. Shame, uh, fear, and and of course the underlying addiction. You just note it. You try and not see it as a problem. See it as an experience. Try to understand it because you'll get tired of it. That's the escape, and that's what you have. That's what's not usually clearly realized. We think we have to destroy bad things. It's bad. I have to hate it. I have to really always be adamant in my mind that this is a problem, this is bad, this is evil, and so on. And that's not how you get rid of things. That's not how you let go of things. You let go of things by getting tired of them. And the only way you get tired is by seeing it happen incessantly, without any benefit, without any value. And that takes clarity. That's what requires the clarity of vipassana, seeing clearly, which comes from cultivating mindfulness. So it's just practice. There's no shortcut. You have to do the work read how to practice we have a booklet how to practice um, undertake the actual formal practice of mindfulness we have courses on that we have the answer to these things so it, it can take lifetimes it's something that you're going to have to work at you'll see the fruit but um, some attachments run deep and they can take time During some sessions, I lose sense of the body to a certain degree, and noting the abdomen becomes difficult. I feel lost in that state. How should I note it? You can note feeling or lost or confused. Note any disliking or fear that there might be. Um, you can also just note waiting or knowing or feeling. You can note calm or quiet if you feel calm or quiet. But um, difficult is not a problem. If if you don't feel the abdomen at all, abdomen at all, then you don't note. It's just you can note knowing, or you can note sitting if you're able to feel the other parts of the body. Um, but difficult is not a problem. Just be patient with it and do what you can. That the whole point of focusing on something like the abdomen is because of how unpredictable it is. 
it catches you off guard, it makes you uncomfortable, it's not stable, it's not satisfying, it's going to help you become flexible. It's going to help you adapt and be less, uh, have less expectations, be less... Um, expectant. I don't know what the right word is. Is it possible that when we crave, we are reinforcing a sense of self? Having seen anicca, dukkha, and anatta, I find that I yo-yo back and forth with remembering the three characteristics, including not-self, and having difficulty not identifying with a self at other times. There are few cravings, and the few that are still there, I wonder if this experience of craving is reinforcing a sense of self. Well, I was just not wondering. Um, don't think too much about the three characteristics, because that thinking is not clarity of mind. It's not seeing clearly. The three characteristics are something you have to see clearly, not think about, not try and understand. This is what you'll see about reality. So if you're wondering or confused or so on, just note that. And whatever cravings there are, note them, but you don't have to go looking. Just try and focus on what's there. If you have few cravings, that's great to hear. Just do what you can to refine, refine, refine. Bhante, we've crossed the hour and answered all the questions in the first tier. Uh, do you want to continue? All right. No, let's uh, let's um, quit while we're ahead. <laughs> Sounds like we kind of fixed things. Um, That's what it seems how... like. Yeah, well, if we hit all the top-tier questions, that's great. Uh, other questions, well, you, we have a study group Saturday morning if you have questions about Buddhist theory, that sort of thing. This morning we had also technical difficulties. Um, but uh, well, we'll be back next Saturday and you can join our Discord you can have your questions you can ask questions there alright, have a good week everyone thank you for your questions Sadhu Sadhu